0: This is a podcast for serious writers who want to develop their skills in artistry and stand out in a crowded industry by taking intelligent, creative risks. I'm your host, Jonathan Ball. I hold a PhD in literature. I'm the author of uh, numerous books, and I take a very analytical approach to art making emphasizing both efficiency and experimentation. Please consider doing me a favor and pre-ordering my new book uh, from Coach House Books, The National Gallery. Uh, It contains sonnets for Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, LGs in the manner of Rilke, but for a dead iPhone, uh, and other strange missives from yours truly, The Poet Laureate of Hell. So go to thenationalgallery.ca for more information. That's thenationalgallery.ca. Thanks. Why does Skype give me the option to, like, put a sad face or, like, show a happy face? Like, what's this? It's, like, crying? What's the point of this?
1: Uh, Well, because I can't (laughs) read emotions from your real face.
0: (laughs) Is that what it is? That's the thing. Like, we're looking at faces. I can see, like, if you're in the chat or something. But even then, it's kind of stupid. But, like, you know, in case my real face can't display, uh, like, the emotion of sadness, I got to go hang on it was like this
1: (laughs) it's the only only way to 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 uh get uh emotion across
0: in the 21st century (laughs) it's hilarious like it's something else man wow unbelievable it's like oh wait hang Brian. i gotta put a thumbs i give you a thumbs up i know my hand's right here and i got a thumb i could put it up but
1: i love how it's like the constant like up and down up and down is that like even a thing people
0: do no. Do you, have you ever done this? Like it's like, well, I will now let him live. Mm, but wait a second, maybe I've changed my mind. <laughs> no, let us let
1: him live. <laughs> anyway, this is com- this is compelling audio.
0: <laughs> what we were supposed to be talking about now is, um, I don't know, one of two things. Either we can talk about, you know, how we're doing with our ninety-five books, or we can talk about Zelda,
1: which I've been playing <laughs> too much. I mean. We, we're going to have to do an actual real episode of this at some point, because we're supposed to talk about that Ian Williams book.
0: You know, I haven't read the Ian Williams book I Which I did read. I did read the Ian Williams book. I haven't podcast. finished reading it. I got it, and then I lost it, and then I found it again, and then I was like, started reading it, and then, and then I... Um, and then you realized it was like 500 pages. No, it's not that. It's that I... Have at that point, then I had like ten books I had to read for like work-related things. Okay. So, like I started a new class, right? So I got to reread all the books that I'm doing for that. Um, and then, additionally, I got to read my poetry column books. So that's like mm-hmm. six books right there. And then um, so it's on. So it's on a. Oh, and also I have to read. Uh, Ann Boyer put a book out. It's not her poetry book though. It's her memoir of like illness. Okay. It looks really great, but I've, I've got to read that. <laughs> that's, like, another 400 pages. So I actually have, like, something like 1,000 pages of reading I have to do before I read the Williams book. Because okay. no one's paying me to read it, which boils down to. Yeah. But I feel bad because, you know, I made you read it. <laughs> I, mean, like, asked these other people to read it and stuff.
1: I mean, that's and the I, real problem with, with – uh, sure, I'm sure you thought you were being smart when you announced right in the middle of the podcast, here's what we're going to do next – well, now, would, yeah, now we have to do it. It would lock wow. me into it. I thought before i do another one, it would lock me in.
0: But then I just, you know, now here we're doing another one and I haven't read it yet. But <laughs> I will read it, and we will talk about it. Um, it's next on my list after these. Um, this week, I'll finish up all the reading I have to do beforehand. So by, so basically, I'll read it next week is what it boils down to. So by the time I roll into your neck of the woods uh, from my Toronto um, launch, uh, we'll have read it. And we can, like you know do a live thing where maybe we eat the sushi that we owe each other i don't know where we're at with the sushi owing i think i owe you sushi and
1: and we should have done that when i was in vancouver because now we have to eat toronto sushi yeah which is worse than winnipeg sushi even
0: winnipeg actually has very good sushi for a province that has no ocean even remotely nearby
1: yeah but toronto just has terrible sushi listen I i found a couple good good spots but it's also like it's a combo of it's harder to find good sushi, and, uh, and it's, like, always, like, twice as much.
0: What happened in Winnipeg is there's some sushi chef that, I don't know where he got trained, but he came here and started a restaurant in Winnipeg, and then he trained, like, almost every other sushi chef in Winnipeg. Mm. So Winnipeg actually has, like, substantially good sushi. Um, and then, uh, yeah, despite, you know, I'm sure there's ingredients issue, but, like, getting things. But, uh, but yeah. Vancouver would have been. I remember mean, we had some sushi when I was in Vancouver last. Uh, but, but still, yeah, it will be a Toronto sushi time. Sad to say. Where are you at with your ninety-five books? I'm, I just finished reading my eighty-eighth book, um, which is a Ken Hunt's The Odyssey, which is an erasure. Um, it's an erasure of the Apollo Eleven mission transcripts. So okay. there's erasure poems based off that, which is really a, a great. And then before that. Um, I've read a bunch of other stuff, but the other two that I really was uh, big into was one, um, The Elements by Aaron Moray, which yeah. when I wrote my little mini review, I stole your line. Like I said, <laughs> I was going to steal Ryan. Uh, I stole a line that Ryan said when we were talking about it, which is that it kind of reads like a greatest hits in some ways, because, you know, just cause it's culminating like certain threads that she like, we're returning to certain threads that Moray has kind of, you know, done before, but yet, you know, kind of in a new fresh way and then the other book that i really was big on recently that i can't stop stop talking about is um a manga a japanese horror manga called uzumaki which basically means spiral and it's um it's very famous japanese horror manga by junji ito and um more or less it's about a town haunted by a spiral and it's as strange as that makes it sound but yeah, if you haven't read Spiral or Uzumaki, but they don't translate it in the English edition. It's just called Uzumaki is the title. Um, and it is stunningly strange and brilliant. Uh, this, this town just becomes a spiral, is haunted by a spiral. Slowly everything starts to turn into spirals. It's very, you know, deranged. What have you been up
1: to? Uh, I think I'm let me pull up my list and I'll give you an actual number as opposed to like a memory number so I'm also at 88 nice uh, so we read, should say
0: it's September so in September we both hit 88 so we're yeah. well on track
1: um, and uh, so the book I finished last night is a, a I don't know if I want to call it a theory book or like a queer theory book maybe Asexual Erotics by and I'm going to mispronounce his name Ella billow it's like a Polish name mm. it's got like two it's built like a Z and two Y's in it uh, but it, it's a like really excellent um, kind of set of set of readings around a bunch of cultural objects uh, thinking them through uh, non sexuality mm. which is a bit of an interesting um, uh, it's an interesting take like within queer theory um, focus on not having sex rather than having sex. I don't know. Hmm. That's a bad, bad reading. But uh, but other things that I've read since, uh, I don't know where we would have uh, would have left off, but uh, uh, I've read a couple of you... poetry books that have been really, really excellent. Um, so one um, one by Wendy Trevino, who's a Bay Area poet called Cruel Fiction, uh, which is... Uh, very political it's out of commune editions so you know uh you know it has the marxist bona fides Uh, but it's like it's a book of sonnets um about like uh really cutting like um like current political stuff um that's a bad reading i would read a poem but i don't have it in front of me um the other, the other book of poetry that I read recently that I really liked is uh, not the new Tommy Pico because apparently he has a new new one but uh, his book Nature Poem which is just a really great really great funny long poem. Hmm. Um, Tommy Pico? Tommy Pico, yeah.
0: And then Cruel Fictions was the other one? Cruel Fiction, yeah. By Wendy Cruel Tavini. Fiction but it's a poetry book it's just called Cruel yeah. Fiction. Yeah. Is it is it, um, it's sonnets, you said? That's interesting.
1: It's got, well, it's not all sonnets, but it's got, like, I think one or two of the sections are, are sonnets. Have you read? I haven't read this
0: yet, but it's, the next book I'm going to read is, um, uh, Sonnets Shakespeare.
1: Have you yeah, read that got, I just picked, I just picked that up. Uh, but you haven't read it either? I haven't read it yet. Uh, it looks it, great. Yeah, it looks really interesting, but it's, um, I was, was not have much to say about it. That, that could be yet. the next book that we read together uh, if we ever get if we ever read this uh, Ian Williams book
0: well I'm going to read it song, I have to read it before the Ian Williams book <laughs> so I will definitely read it uh, this week yeah and then Williams yeah. next week so if you want we could talk about both in, when I roll down to Toronto there well sure um, that might be good but yeah it looks great and then I just read the Belcourt Billy Ray Belcourt's new book as well yeah, that's I thought, also, which I liked quite a bit
1: yeah I got those and then I, uh, I picked up the uh, J. millars selected because he just did a yeah i read that a, a couple weeks pre-day. ago mm-hmm.
0: it's really interesting and um uh i mean i've seen most of that stuff before but there's some newer stuff in there and some older stuff i had
1: seen from his old very small micropress days yeah um, um other than other than that my reading is uh i'm teaching this course on poetics so i'm reading a bunch of like uh stuff that'll re or rereading a bunch of stuff that'll be really interesting some of it'll be like self inflicted pain I'm having my students read a chunk of Charles Olson next week so oh, yeah. we'll see how they like me after that um, the Maximus yeah, stuff or something else uh, yeah just like the first like 30 or 40 pages of the Maximus poems and, pro- and projective verse so
0: is that what you what do you tend to teach in that class
1: uh, This is my perfect- teaching right now well, this is my first time teaching this class. It's a fourth year uh, Poetics course, so it's Poetics as Research is the kind of frame. Um, and the, f- the first four four or five weeks are just an excuse to give them a crash course, like in 20th century stuff. So this week we're reading uh, Miro Ruckheiser, next week we'll read Charles Olson. Uh, week after that we're reading Bernadette Mayer, after that we're reading uh, Theresa Hak Kyung Cha, And then within the class, we'll look at a bunch of stuff around. So I'm like, today, like, we'll look at swatches of like Eliot and Pound and uh, HD and some of the Objectivist stuff and a bit of Langston Hughes. Um, And then next week, we'll like look at the New American poetry, and we'll ask why why there's like only four women in that book, only one person of color. Um, And the answer will be it was the '60s and things were shitty. The answer would be more complicated than that. Uh, and, then, and then the back half of the course, we're doing a bunch of more contemporary stuff. We're doing like um, Claudia Rankin and Mark Novak and uh, Sheena Marie Lowe. I'm staring at the, the stack of books, but they're across the room here. Uh, Jordan Abel, Jordan Scott, uh, I'm missing somebody, but yeah, that's the kind of, that's the vibe of the class.
0: You know what, I was also, I I mean, I'm not teaching anything other than creative writing right now, and then, um, so I'm just doing like, uh, I'm actually doing some textbooks I'm trying this year, Uh, so I'm Mm -hmm. doing the Tisdall book uh, that that he did, Daniel Scott Tisdall, who's near you, did a book called, for Oxford University Press. His office is down the hall. Yeah, anyway, his book is great, I I don't know if you've ever um, taught a creative writing class there or not. No. No but um if you ever do you might want to consider his textbook it's it's, it's a great opening which is the first thing he asks you to do <laughs> is write imagine a student opening this book right so the first thing he asks you to do is a series of exercises to create the poem you're forbidden to write mm. and so it really is kind of an interesting you know fascinating kind of way in uh and one of the things that's great about his book in particular is that he um i mean it's, a, it's about writing poetry the book's called um the writing moment, uh, but it's kind of predicated on the idea that, um, well, there's a couple of ideas it's predicated on. But one of the things that I really appreciate about it is he kind of goes through not only what you would, um, you know, normally do in a in a poem or in a normal you know creative writing class, but he also gets into like some of the things people are actually doing now. <laughs> you know, most of these craft books I find they kind of stop at like. 1870 you know as if like that was the apex of craft and like they mention a few things like they mentioned the imagists, and they mentioned you know some of the later stuff but they kind of stop you know uh in yeah. terms of um other than getting into free verse in, in some more modern ways they don't really delve into so like when he talks about description like here's how you you know different ways you could write you could create imagery he gets into like you could always just turn the poem into an image and create some visual work you could you know mix media and you put a comic book uh, panel in there you know things that i think um i'm just surprised other craft books don't get into but he doesn't get into it in a he he gives an example of a mad fold-in poem his first book has a mad magazine fold-in poem Uh, So we get into kind of like how you might write that um and actual techniques you know he knows like we have to write, you write, write the final line first, <laughs> you know, and uh, you know kind of the craft angle of it which is just to me really interesting, um, but i haven 't gotten too much into well one of the things i 'm also uh, just doing as you know follow rolls in and people start mailing me you know the catalogs and stuff is i 'm looking at what 's coming out and i 'm really interested also in the new Lisa Robertson novel. Have you heard about this. Okay. Yeah, which
1: I've only I've only heard exists. I don't know anything about it yet.
0: I don't think it's out until winter. I want to say, oh. but it's um, uh, it's it looks really interesting. And they're also republishing. When I come down for the Coach House launch into, to Toronto, which people should go to, you know, it's October third. Coach House Books is having their big fall launch. Um, so, I mean, I'll be there with my new book, but the, I think the real draw to me anyway is Gail Scott is going to be there and they re, relaunching
1: Heroin. Yeah. like A new edition late. of it. I wanted to teach yeah. that last year and I couldn't because the book was yeah. out of print. So well, it's back I'm in print. I'm very glad wait. it exists, but a year too late. Yeah. Come on, Coach House. Get it together. <laughs> Anticipate my needs as a, yeah. as
0: a university. Just send book. them a list of your needs and then just see what they can manage out of that. And watch them ignore it, um, (laughs) as they should. How how is uh, the, how are you finding, here's a kind of weird random topic, but how are you finding uh, getting your own writing done now that you're in the thick of this postdoc and so on? Do you find it interfering with what you're doing
1: or is it just enabling it or what? Dude, I have, I have finished, I finished two books last year. Yeah. Like writing two books. Oh, two. I thought you only finished one no i finished another one over the summer it just came very quickly Uh, so no like i i don't know like in the last stages of my phd like i found this process that really worked is like while i was doing my academic writing anytime i got stuck i would just i would switch files Hmm. to the creative one and i would just like write a few lines or whatever and i found like um Especially once I had, like, projects on the go, like, I found it very easy to kind of, like, in these kind of 15-minute breaks from my, re- quote-unquote, real work, like, to, to like, build Your, chunks of poems. Because it was a different part of my brain. But you're still
0: writing, if it's still, like... You find it pretty easy to switch between that kind of academic writing and the other one? Because some people don't. Like Anne Carson, I know, famously has two different desks in her office. One yeah. desk where she does academic work and another desk where she does her creative work, which I think is, I mean, it's still the same office. So it's an interesting way of concretizing physically like yeah. that division.
1: Well, but I know I other find people to, who I find it easy. I find it easy to flip to the creative work. <laughs> yeah. I find it less easy to flip back to the, um, to the academic work yeah just because academic writing is not does not come naturally to me
0: no I don't find it I find it easier to do the nonfiction academic writing like I can hammer out 5,000 words of that if I really want in a day if I can have a full day to do but like creative writing that's like a slog like I've done 5,000 words in a day but it's like I didn't leave the house for 18 hours I just drank coffee and ate noodles (laughs) you know I didn't do anything else that walked to and from the desk and the noodle like preparation well, part of the counter
1: <laughs> but like i can hammer write, out that's cuz you write fiction right
0: like yeah, poetry so.
1: poetry is designed to like just fit in the corners of your day sure so it's to steal time from your employer to write your poetry
0: it's true although you know you got to be careful not to tell your employer in case they got one of those weird contracts where they own everything you write yeah I, remember he, I forget who the writer was, but I remember hearing about a novelist who did that. He like, was on a tour, and he was talking about how he wrote this novel like on, at his day job during breaks and stuff, or when he was supposed to be working. And his employer like, took the copyright of his novel because he had a, um, one of those Yikes. weird contracts. I forget the name of the guy, but it was one of those things where he had a weird contract where if you created it at work, the company owned it, which isn't super unusual. Yeah. Uh, but it was, I don't think it's ever been applied in that manner. But yeah, but I don't know if anyone is going to want the copyright on a weird book of poems. Uh, have you got
1: those? Are you shopping these books around right now, or what are you doing with them? Yeah, are you just and, them? um one of them I might go back and edit. I've got like uh, I can I can fill you in on the details because I know we're recording this presumably to put out <laughs> for public consumption. You can fill me in later then. Yeah. Um, so. Um, so there's three that I finished. One is placed uh, at a press for a year in the very far off future. Uh, one I have, one I sent to, I sent to a press and haven't heard back. And I don't know if their window is closed. So I have to start thinking about sending it other places. And the other one I just sent in uh, to uh, to another place. I realized that was very vague. And probably no, really, but
0: you're probably right you don't want to name the presses publicly unless you got things figured out even if you have yeah. a contract like you don't sometimes they don't want you to talk about it yet right yeah like i don't know about that specific instance but you just kind of think you'd want to maybe double check first <laughs> right but yeah but um well good on you for getting the, the porch done. i know so many people who they kind of like they just stop doing things when like it gets busy with like say an academic project or something and I've always felt that was the wrong I mean whatever works for people I guess but I always felt like it's the wrong move because don't you You know people get I don't know I've always felt like if you get stuck you should just keep writing but maybe you want to switch projects in that scenario usually it's a bad idea to switch projects but sometimes like it, it can kind of get spur your thinking a bit especially if you've got like Like you're working on academic theory or something and then you maybe you're writing poems that kind of related to concept wise say i don't know if that's what you've been doing but no that's that's what has
1: happened is mm -hmm. all my all my research kind of feeds both sides so anything i read just kind of gets sucked into the orbit of whatever i'm doing
0: yes then in a weird way like your poems almost become like notes uh, and vice versa Know, yeah, or your, ac- or your academic work becomes like notes for the poems in some weird way. I feel <laughs> like that's like a good way to work uh, on multiple projects as opposed to like
1: totally disconnected things. Yeah, Although I, know people I don't would think, do that. I, I wouldn't be writing like any poems if somehow they weren't related to my mm-hmm. like whatever I was doing in my academic life. Like, there's poems in one of these manuscripts. Like, there's a poem that came out of a conversation from that I had with the with a class of mine um, hmm. there's another one that came out of I was reading like uh, Capital Volume 2 so the poem is like uh, not an explanation but like a response to like some of the ideas that, that Marx is working through and that but okay. in a weird lateral way I really like to do like,
0: like a poems. poem so like, it's really kind of direct responses to things I've been reading or doing like the, like, the National Gallery book has a bunch yeah. of sonnets for, about Leatherface and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in it, as, like, a simple example. I do that in politics, too, in Politics and Knives, with um, the poem about Psycho, and movie Psycho. Yeah. And, um, but even on, like, a simpler... So, like, to me, like, I don't know, I find, especially for poetry, um, it really helps to have, like, it, it, it caught up in a network of responding to things or other or caught up in a network of other texts in that way like I do that kind of yeah. stuff with fiction too but I think it's um, I don't know I feel like it's more integral to the poetry in, in, in a manner of speaking yeah we'll see what other people think
1: <laughs> I'm Only always curious up, to know what other people
0: think
1: when you hear back re- from your 12 readers
0: yeah who rev- and they maybe review it yeah or don't review it Let's see. It's getting harder and harder to get push books reviewed these days. I was looking at the fall schedule, like what's coming out, and I was like, all oh, my hopes for, you know, great, good, like a like heavy review or you know, possible prizes are gone because like it's like, Billy Ray Belcourt's putting out a book. <laughs> There's like eighty other people who are like cooler than me putting out books <laughs> at the same time.
1: <laughs> but we'll see how it goes. Well. I'm I'm not putting out a book this season, so like well, at least there's that
0: I got you know that lack of competition, I suppose. eh? There was I'm really uh, pumped about um, uh, when what was gonna say oh um, the uh, oh oh, the um, the Belcourt book I'm really interested in uh, we can maybe talk a little bit about it sometime but like there's there's a couple of cool things in it in terms of um, what was it like he's got these blackout pages so these erasure poems yeah. the blackout pages now a lot of people have been doing this kind of thing lately but I thought it was interesting um, uh, I read this book and I also read um, uh, Treaty by Armit. here where is it uh armand Garnet rufo okay uh, and they both kind of i don't know if you've read this book yet but uh, they both have like a s- interesting um way they're playing off the actual tree texts okay. in, in certain moments so that's something maybe you know to talk about in another podcast but i feel like um there's a lot of really jordan abel is a guy you mentioned uh like yeah. who like i feel like there's a lot of really interesting kind of work being done around like erasure and um and just textual manipulation of like treaty texts, which is yeah. an interesting you know thing I I, the fir- I first saw it with Abel when he did those um I forget which book it was but I think it was his first book um where he yeah. which manip- isn't treaty which isn't treaty text no it's, it's not treaty erasure text thing. yeah it, it has to do with though it was um, uh, uh, with these totem poles that are moved to the Toronto Museum if I recall correctly and some of the text around from a memoir around uh, that published by uh, the the guy who had uh, actually like taken those polls, if I recall correctly. Um, yeah. Vladimir
1: like Barbeau, that's the guy's name. I think?
0: Yeah, I think so. But anyway, um, I, I know Abel's like investigated that kind of thing quite a bit. Uh, but I am starting to see like that influence. I mean, I'm not sure exactly where that where the Influence comes from with this Rufo and Belcourt book, but I feel like it's probably from from the Abel uh, work. Um, yeah. and I'm really curious to see like how uh, that strain plays out in, in more texts later on. Like as there's more and more um, one text created uh, with around like you know reconciliation esque yeah. projects, and um, you know then like these kind of poetic responses to these various. You know, events that happen like the Colton Bushy media uh, c- coverage and so on. So anyway, I, I think it's a kind of an interesting, weird. I don't know, like side uh, thing. I should. I'd really like to get a hold of Abel or somebody and like actually talk to them about it. Um, but anyway, I I might have missed my chance to talk to Abel because he was uh, here doing a writing in
1: residence thing, and then it's over now. I mean, I'm sure you. Kid- I'm sure you could just email him and he'd respond yeah. to you. although he's like he's crazy busy so like uh well he was he trying
0: might. to get together to have a beer with me at some yeah. point because when he was doing this brand residence thing it just, it, we never got it to pan out but yeah. yeah he just seems like he'd be crazy busy but i'll have to give see if i can get him on or, or somebody else belcourt seems like he'd be quite busy these days but yeah. <laughs> we'll see but it's uh, very curious you know like yeah. uh how the um um I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot of really interesting uh, poetry projects. It, it seems very diverse these days. Yeah, like in terms of the types of projects that are kind of coming out, and 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 like where they're coming
1: from, and so on. Like, I don't know. Well, I know the Can Belcourt. I, the thing I'm interested in in the Belcourt because I've only I've only flipped through it so far. But like, are the kind of like he's been doing almost like the essay, working within the essay mm-hmm. form. Right, like a kind of post-Bartzian, post-Maggie Nelson, like there's a lot of, lot of different kinds of stuff that he's, kind of responding to formally, but I'm interested in that move towards the essay, like within poetry, sure. uh, and I and I'm looking forward to reading the book to see how he negotiates that.
0: Yeah, I try to do that kind of thing with politics of knives a fair bit, like that kind of hybrid essay slash poetry. Um, I'm not sure if people notice that when they're reading that book, but like, um, I think it's certainly a strain that I see more and more, um, done well. Like, uh, like Belcourt is doing it fairly well, you know, like in terms of moving back and forth between those two registers of voice, you know, Uh, whereas I've seen a lot of stuff that wasn't really doing it super well, but I feel like it's, you know, people are getting more of a handle on it, you know? Yeah. I think I might have had a a good handle on it, but maybe it was too invisible <laughs> in a certain like like if you read psycho in my book it like it is doing that same project, but it's very extreme to like the poetry end of the spectrum where like the yeah. text is so disjointed uh that maybe you could miss the essayistic aspects um, because you just reads so much like like some sort of psychosis um jumbling of speech uh, but I feel like people are starting to get more of a hang on how to do it in like a deft way but I don't know you know, I'm curious like you to see like where that plays out because uh, it has been so poorly handled in the past by, by various people but in any case yeah. you know, some, some uh, people doing well like Kootenai School was always doing a decent job with it but other than that uh, I feel like it kind of got uh, short shrift and people are just you know, very f- ne- like I don't know the Belcourt book. I'm curious to see your response when you finish reading it.
1: Yeah. Um, so uh, so, uh, I'm I'm watching the percentage on my computer. I got a bit of time left. But so tell me tell me about uh, the Legend of Zelda. Uh,
0: well, yeah, I got to go shortly too soon. But Breath, I, I, Breath, I, Breath of the so, Wild. So, uh, spoilers for people who are interested in Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild. But I That's I got to you can't switch like game. I don't feel like it. Spoil. Well, you know how game people are. (laughs) If you don't say spoilers, they'll come hack your heart out. But anyways, you're the last. You're literally the last person to play this game. I probably am. I just started playing. I just got a switch. I didn't know switches existed, and so I just got a switch the other day. And um, uh, mostly to play indie games. But anyhow, uh, of course, the one game I bought that wasn't like an indie game through like Devolver Digital on the eStore. The one game I got was Zelda Breath of the Wild, and uh, because I'm a lifelong Zelda fan, like Ryan, I believe that the best game ever made was Zelda Three for the Super NES. And uh, anyway, I'm loving this Breath of the Wild. It's a close second, I gotta say, and I really like the way the story is handled. So I just got all the memory. I began, and but you know, I didn't remember Zelda. Like the character didn't remember Zelda because I had gotten. I had, like, 20% completion, I think, 22% completion. And I hadn't gotten all the memories and stuff. Um, so now I just went and I got all the memories. I have to go beat Ganon again and see what the difference is in the ending. Although I still only have, like, 23 or 24% completion yeah. or something. But, like, I got the downloadable content. I got, you know, I, I'm partly, I'm almost done the Champion's Ballad quest. I just got to beat this one shrine that's really hard. And then I will have gotten all. But I got all the other sh- three shrines of that part. I'm sure there's more parts of the whole ballad, but that's like you know where I'm at with that. Okay. I got I got to beat the one shrine with the one heart obliterator thing, um, the stasis shrine thing. But um, anyhow, I'm really uh, I'm really interested in like the Zelda story approach because one, I think it's interesting how fragmentary the story is. Like how you you really don't get a lot of story. But when you do get it, you get these weird snippets. It's like you recall a memory of like. Hundred years ago, when you and Zelda did something, you were wandering through this, these woods, and then she was sad about something, <laughs> and then it's like the end. Like that's the story you get, or like um, you know, you, you 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 just get these weird little snippets, which I think is interesting, like the fragmentary nature of it. And I also yeah. think like how it's interesting how a lot of the story just comes out of the environment. So like you have the basic concept that ten thousand years ago, you know, there was this massive battle against. You know Ganon and you know all these mechanical creatures were created by the Sheka or Sheikah um, people to fight Ganon we don't know exactly what happened but they you know sealed Ganon away uh, then a hundred years ago you know Ganon returns you fight uh, with these champions alongside you in Zelda but you fail <laughs> and you more or less are not quite killed the game starts as you've been resurrected in this by this machine uh, shrine and then you know you kind of don't remember what happened you get a little bit of information you keep getting more snippets of information as things go on the nutshell of it is you know you failed a hundred years ago the world was destroyed (laughs) you're always wandering through like these ruins Hyrule Castle is just this massive ruin and you know uh, I think it's just interesting how you're constantly going through these places in the game you're like the game is designed for you just to be exploring this game, this area. Um, and in all these areas, there's just like these signs of your failure. You're just kind of navigating through them. I think it's so such a curious approach to uh, the game storytelling compared to like yeah. what I'm used to in an RPG where it's just cut scene after cutscene of like, let's just give you narrative that, and we, you can't even do anything for 10 minutes now
1: because we're pumping narrative down your throat. Yeah, well, and it's, I think it's a, a direct response to, like, how a lot of people received, like, the last big Zelda game, which was Skyward Sword, which, like, you don't get... It takes you five or six hours to get out of the tutorial in that game, and, which is a lot of, like, just handholding and, like, hey, Link, I, I can't find my cat. Can you go find my cat for me? Like, stuff like that. Um, and so, like, it... it it feels like they actually heard people's complaints and then went, okay, you want to just do whatever? Here you go. You could literally, the first thing you could do is literally go beat Ganon.
0: Yeah, the guy, they even say in the game, like, well, there's Ganon over there. You could go beat him, but I wouldn't advise it. <laughs> 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 like, don't don't go over there. Well, I guess you could, though. And it gives you a little quest, like, your ultimate goal is to beat Ganon. But you know, but maybe you want to do other things first. <laughs> yeah. And then when you do beat Ganon, I just, like, again, I beat him. I, I didn't... Beat him super fast, like I'd put like I don't know too many hours into the game by that point. But I still had only done like twenty percent of what you could do or whatever. Yeah. But I, but it, you know, still like when I beat him, it's like you beat Ganon, and then and then Zelda literally goes, Link, let me ask you a question. Do you really remember me? And then like game over. <laughs> it's like we're standing ever because you haven't you you haven't bothered to go through the work of like doing remember like finding the story which yeah. is kind of interesting yeah i find it really curious i also find like that the interesting story where like link and zelda don't even really get along yeah like <laughs> like most of the time which is very curious but i think I really think interesting for,
1: yeah i think her character has
0: yeah her character is really interesting that it has a lot interesting, it has like a lot of kind of a depth to it too which is kind of
1: curious yeah I think that's why I'm interested in the, the sequel that they announced, which is, like, a direct sequel. They don't do that very often. Oh, really?
0: It's,
1: yeah, and it's, like, the, tra- the trailer they showed is they they go into the ruin of Hyrule Castle, Link and Zelda, and they, like, awaken something else. And so, like, that's presumably what they'll be dealing with. Um, but it, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping they do something with, like, Link and Zelda, where I don't know if you could, like, choose which one you play as or
0: it'd be great to be able to play yeah. as zelda one for once one of these games yeah. yeah i'm not aware of one where you play as zelda i haven't played every single zelda game but
1: uh there's a bad one where you play as zelda uh i don't know like there's lots of side games where you can play as zelda but there's no i don't think there's a main game mm-hmm. where you play zelda it's not like super mario where you can yeah. play as Peach and Super mario 2 yeah, which is
0: an underrated Super Mario,
1: I gotta say. I don't know if that's the best one, but it might
0: be my favorite one. You know, it's not the best one by far, but yeah, I do love it. Yeah, although it's, it's barely a, a Mario game in many ways. But I love the. Uh, but I'm really curious about this Breath of the Wild sequel Now you got me interested. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, that would be uh, great. I don't know if that's their plan, but that would be great.
1: Yeah, that, well, they barely said anything about it other than it's happening, and there was like have, a. Is there a date for it or anything? Nope. Hmm. So it could be could be in a year, could be in five years.
0: Yeah. I could probably still play this game for five years and not complete it. Because there's yeah. so much to do. There's whole areas of the map I haven't even walked to. You know. It's a massive world. Yeah. And I've got this whole list of side quests on like it tells you all the quests you've started and haven't finished or whatever. Yeah. And like every time I scroll through it, I'm like, I don't remember that quest <laughs> that I was on that quest. It's <laughs> just so many things you're like engaged in. And now I got this, you know, a DLC. So I don't even know. Um, I don't even know what I got to do next at this point. Yeah. But anyway, we'll gotta talk get more about, motorcycle.
1: we'll gotta talk get that about that
0: motorcycle. You, yeah. I hear there's a motorcycle. Which I'm just curious about the thing I want most in this whole game is to, um, uh, to just get the Master Sword not sucking so much. That's my one real disappointment in this game is how crappy the Master Sword is. I'm really hoping well, if I
1: beat. Like if you have beat you wouldn't these use all the other things, cool swords. Yeah. You wouldn't use I all guess. the other cool swords if, you, if the Master Sword was any good.
0: I suppose. It's not the worst, but it's like it breaks a lot. It doesn't really do much. It's only like 30. Like I, you can you pick up better swords half the time. Yeah for this it's the sword that seals the darkness and it should be super cool i got it <laughs> early too eh? like because you need like so many hearts to pull it out so i like went and i traded all my stamina for hearts and i like pulled it out and then i went back to like having a bunch of stamina so i was like walking around with the master sword and like six hearts <laughs> <laughs> but you know but i had like three full stamina wheels you know because i'm addicted to stamina
1: but yeah this is this is quality quality audio quality audio for all
0: (laughs) well we'll talk more later ryan when i beat zelda more and also um i read ian williams and i will have also read sonnet shakespeare
1: which i'm going to do uh tomorrow or today great and and next time i can i can tell everyone why uh zelda isn't even the best game on the nintendo switch uh that game is super mario maker Uh, and if you care about both care about poetry you should be playing super mario maker i'll
0: i'll let you show me super mario (laughs) maker when i come down to visit you and if uh if you can convince me to get into super mario maker my thing is like i feel like from the outside looking at super mario maker i feel like it's work like why do not i why don't they just pay me to make these levels if i'm (laughs) if i'm making levels shouldn't somebody be paying me that's how i feel about it but maybe I'll you know, feel differently when I try out Super Mario Maker at your place. Yeah, I don't want to be like pay 100 bucks just to try it out. Is where I'm at or with it right now. Yeah, you know, whereas I'll you know easily drop it on a Zelda because <laughs> <I, 'cause laughs> I'm 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 right into the Zelda brand. You know, you can sell me anything Zelda. <laughs> ever since I was a kid, and the, ever since I was a kid, and I played the first Zelda, and then when I beat the game, it said now you get to play another game. <laughs> it's like now a new game plus. And I'm like, what? And, I, and it's like a totally different game. I was like, this is amazing. You know, that they sold me at that moment for their, for a life. So anyway, all right. Talk to you later, Ryan. Have fun. Yeah, today. I will. All right. Better getter, Bye.